Micro, Micro from the show Dirty Jobs, once had an interview where he talked about a poster he saw at a local high school. Well, I don't remember seeing a poster like it in my high school. The message on the poster was at the heart of most of my educational instruction. And the poster said this. It said, work smart, not hard. The problem, says Mike Rowe, is that it should say, work smart and hard. We look down on people that do manual labor in our society, like they're second class. Maybe not you specifically, but our culture does that at large. When you compare white-collar and blue-collar workers, who do you consider more intelligent? Who do you seem as more put together? The carpenter or the surgeon? The electrician or the professor? Who do you consider better off? Or maybe even smarter. We have a very low view of workers. We're literally the backbone of this country and every country on the planet. And we think they're, at the, they're, out, they're on the bottom and that they are worse off and are worse people for it. But not our God. You see the Messiah, the announcement of the Messiah first came to Mary and Joe, Mary and Joseph, and went to then to the parents of John the Baptist. But then it would go from the temple to the fields. A message of reconciliation would no longer be kept in a building or a synagogue, but it would go out into the countryside to your blue-collar workers. Except not all blue-collar work is the same. There's a difference between a man who mows my lawn and the man who mows the White House lawn. There's a difference between the carpenter who builds my coffee table and who builds the coffee table of the Queen of England. The question becomes, if you're a blue-collar worker, a matter of whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? The shepherds in the story we're going to see today, they served God. And God would come to them to be their shepherd. It all started in a stable because there was no room for them in an inn. So let's jump into the story of Luke 2. So follow along with me. We're going through 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you that are born this day in the city of David, who is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So let's pray. Father, as we see the lamb before the shepherds, May we see the lamb before our own own sin. May we realize that this was a sign of the promise that you had given the Israelites long, long, long ago. And it was perfectly fulfilled in this moment. And Lord, may we come to realize that it was not just the people in the high places that Jesus came to, but it was the, the lowly. We see throughout the Gospel of Luke, he goes to the people who are poor, not just economically, but who are on the outskirts of society. And even in this passage, it is um, blue-collar workers, it is the common man that that the angels speak to and proclaim the Messiah's birth. And Lord, may we view the Messiah for who he is, um, the man come to die from the first day of his death all the way to his last. your son's name, amen. So there's three parts we're going to cover tonight. The first one, I'm going to title it for you. It's called The Shepherds Serve the Lamb. That's your first fill in the blank. The Shepherds Serve the Lamb. Shepherds. Believe it or not, there are tons of references to shepherds before these guys show up in verse 5. To the Jew listening to this read to them, the Gospel of Luke, every time King David would be mentioned, there would be thoughts of shepherds. Why? Because David was a shepherd. He was out in the fields during the wars against the Philistines. And he wasn't just a shepherd. We know David was a good shepherd. And the Messiah will be the good shepherd. David overcame lions and bears while defending his sheep. And likewise, Christ will overcome the world. So the son of Joseph from the line of David is from a line of kings, yes. But also a line of shepherds. And the line of shepherds goes back even further. Moses is found shepherding fields during his exile in Egypt. The patriarchs, Abraham and Jacob, too, are found as shepherds in the book of Genesis. And the story comes full circle as the angels appear to the shepherds in the field near Bethlehem. What I find even more interesting is what they are shepherding. Now I know. AJ, they're shepherding sheep. Duh. It's in the title or their name. But for what purpose? Remember how I talked about the difference between the man who mows my lawn and the White House lawn? It's a difference. So for what purpose? Many scholars believe, and while I'm not a scholar, I am in the camp of these scholars, that these shepherds were not tending sheep for wool, and they weren't tending sheep for the number seven in McDonald's Jerusalem. Their work as blue-collar workers of the day was to prepare the sheep for temple sacrifice. I believe these shepherds who were abiding by their flocks in the field were perhaps watching over temple sheep. Sheep that were being bred and protected to be sacrificed at the temple of Jerusalem. 
These shepherds may have been men who were accustomed to preparing lambs, which symbolically represented the Messiah and their cleanliness, perfection, and their sacrifice on the altar of the temple. This gives added depth to the meaning, if true, to these scriptures with tell of the angels who came to these shepherds to proclaim the birth of the Lamb of God, the Savior of mankind, who would offer the last and ultimate sacrifice. These shepherds understood sacrifice. They understood Jewish law enough to carry out the preparation for sacrifice, and they would be the first to witness such sacrifice, that of a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, which ironically, the same type of clothing a temple lamb will be swaddled in after it was born. The shepherds serve the lamb. This is your next fill in the blank. The shepherds serve the lamb. Literally, these shepherds served up the lamb to the slaughter as a sacrifice for the sins of the nations. These shepherds also served the lamb by worshiping the lamb, Jesus who would be slaughtered as a sacrifice for the sins of the nations. It's beautiful imagery. And the imagery and importance of the sacrifice is not lost on the first people to be told about it. And it isn't lost on the angels either. I love what the angels do here. This is the point too. Jesus over Augustine. Jesus over Augustine. It's point two. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day born in the, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Good news. Notice the term there, good news. The word used for good news, the word term, the word used for good news, namely that in the Greek, is used by those accompanying the messages of warriors winning a great battle. The battle was indeed already won, even before it had been fought. The fight to win back God's people, to bring his children into right standing with their king. This battle was about to begin and had already been won at this moment. As they say to the shepherds, I bring you good news. I bring you victory. But this battle was being won for all people. Think about it. Typically, if there is a winner of the battle, there is also a loser of the battle. For the Roman, it was on all non-Romans. But this victory isn't for Romans. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It's for all people. And this good news was the Savior. Think about the word Savior. While in our modern Christianese, we associate Savior only with Jesus, that is not true during the first century with that word. Augustus too. The Caesar was known as Savior, as were rulers, physicians, and so on. The angels are directly paralleling this Christ to the leaders of the day. Same with the word Lord. Again, in our modern Christianese, we think Lord as Jesus. But that was a common word among uh, those people used to describe a benefactor or a patron. Also, it could be used of Augustus. So put it all together. 
angels are speaking to the shepherds and are saying that the Savior and Lord of all the people has returned. He has returned with victory in mind. Go to Bethlehem, you'll find him there. And who will they find there? A king, a mighty warrior. What other images spring to mind when you think of words like Savior and Lord and victor? No, there will be none of those things that our culture claims to be Savior, Lord, and victor. It will be a baby. And he is in the same sacrificial clothes that you wrap your sacrificial lambs in. The lamb is the king. The lamb is the shepherd. That's your next fill in the blank. The lamb is the king. And the lamb is the shepherd. And he will be placed where the animals eat. In a food trough. While Augustus is a king in a palace over the largest man-made kingdom in the world, the king of the world is in a manger, in a stable, because there's no room for him in the end, surrounded by shepherds and animals of all sorts, to remind us that the king of the universe isn't just interested in the important people. He just views all his people as important. And what about the peace on earth that angels are talking about? The peace on earth. Are we talking no wars? Are we talking all the relationships in our family are going to be magically healed? No. The peace that the angels are referring to are not horizontal in nature. But the peace is vertical. The peace that Rome could bring would only be with the communities around them. Namely by them being brought into being Rome. Rome could never bring them peace with God. And that is what this king in a manger would bring. However, that peace is what is offensive to the world. Christmas time every year is celebrated with greater and greater cheer in our country. The world says it's about love, world peace, doing good for your neighbor, family. It's really not hard marketing to push and sell at the end of the day. And it is what we all want, isn't it? It has taken over a huge portion of our year every year. What was once a two-day holiday with the advent of marketing, some of you saw what I did there, advent of marketing, never mind, has pushed Christmas right back to Thanksgiving Day. While we greet Santa as the last float on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, stores even start pushing it as early as November 1st. You ever walk into a Walmart the day after Halloween? They restock the candy shelves with candy canes and wrapping paper. Yeah. Our culture is obsessed with Christmas, at least their version of Christmas. And their version of Christmas, this is the next fill in the blank. The world loves the Jesus in the manger. But it isn't as big on the, as on the Jesus on the cross. The world loves the Jesus on the manger. I was listening to a movie podcast this afternoon, and there was one guy talking about how he just hated to fly to all these premieres. And he even used the statement, he's not a believer from what I can gather. He said, you know, when I'm on a plane, typically I'm just praying to the Jesus in the manger, you know, that I'm going to get to the other side. He even said this statement, because everyone likes that Jesus. Yes. Yeah, Talladega Nights. Sweet baby Jesus. I like my Jesus in a tuck shirt. It says that 
I'm formal, but I'm here to party. <laughs> it's Talladega Nights. We are fine with our Jesus in the manger. But the culture is not fine with our Jesus on a cross. Jesus isn't just our example. He isn't our, he isn't our example of how to love and how to do good to your neighbor, your family. Jesus is not those things alone. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our lamb. The Christian Jesus reminds us that we can't do it on our own. That our own works are worthless. That our relationship with the Holy God has been tarnished by our ancestors and retarnished by our own actions and inactions. Jesus reminds us that you can't save yourself. That our love, world peace, doing good for your neighbor, and spending time with your family are limited by the very sinful nature that all men carry. And that they will fail us at one time or another. They are not those things that people like label Christmas as are not our Savior. Christ is our Savior. And He was sacrificed as a lamb. A spotless lamb so that our sins could once and for all be forgiven. Here's the secret. Here's the next fill in the blank. The secret of Christmas is that Christ is the sacrificial lamb on the first day of His life. Just like He is the sacrificial lamb on the last day of His life. If you walk away with anything tonight, I want you to understand that. Christ was the sacrificial lamb the first day of his life, just as he was the sacrificial lamb on the last day. It was the shepherds who came and checked on the new lamb. How ironic. The final lamb that would make their jobs pointless, if I'm right, and they were temple shepherds. But this is the good news. Everyone likes this if they lose their job. Point three. But they had new jobs waiting them. They have new jobs waiting for them. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I think of Peter and James and John. Jesus saying that they will be fishers of men. And then I think of Jesus at the shores of the lake after the resurrection telling Peter to feed his sheep. We are all called to go out. To make known to others all that has been told concerning Jesus. These shepherds were the first evangelists Luke records in the book of Luke and Acts. Shepherds. The people of the shepherds worshiping the throne of David. Also a shepherd. Only to have a lamb sit on it and call himself the good shepherd. To them... Revealing himself to shepherds and to call all us to shepherding those around us. Worship the Lamb. And as priests of the King, shepherd those around you by telling them all what you have been told concerning this child. 